0: Through the written word and the spoken word, may we come to know your living word, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. There's a lot of ways that I might describe myself, but not usually would I ever use the word mystical. Mystical. I'm not saying I haven't had some mystical experiences every now and again. You know, those ones that pop into your lives and scare you a little bit are out of the ordinary and too hard to explain. But for the most part, I'm just really too sensible to have a lot of mystical experiences, and I'm also too busy to notice. I'm a realist. One of my greatest skills is to examine a situation and look for ways for it to make sense, which doesn't really jive with being mystical. I'm practical also, if there's a problem, I'd really like to find a solution to that problem. And when I was deeply entrenched in my hospital pastoral training as a seminarian, I distinctly remember a conversation that my supervisor had with me after I finished a very detailed story about a patient that I'd been seeing, the issues that she had shared with me, and what I had done. Because I'd gone into the situation with a plan, and I had to pivot and adjust all throughout my time as the visit unfolded. She paused, she had piercing blue eyes, and stared into my soul when she looked at me every single time. And she paused even a bit longer, and she said, sometimes, Paige, you should stop, and you should look around. You should put on your fire suit before you try to fight that fire. Oh, I didn't like that, because it was true. Because I'm a doer. I don't have time to put on the fire suit. There's a fire. So I'm always focused on doing, and sometimes I miss the opportunity that is right in front of me to sort of gird my loins, if you will, because I'm so busy trying to be present in a particular situation for the solution itself. But the story today of the transfiguration of Jesus is something that we get to hear twice a year because we're lucky that way. We have it this last Sunday after Epiphany, right before we head into Lent, and then we have it again in August for the Feast of the Transfiguration. So, if you didn't catch it today, don't worry, come back in August. (laughs) Today we hear a version of this story as Jesus is transformed in appearance from the friend of Peter, James, and John, and perhaps their teacher as well, and their mentor, into this dazzling vision that is both awe-inspiring and mystical. It's in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, and this epiphany, a revealing of God, maybe is the greatest one of all in the Gospels, illuminating Jesus in such a way that Peter, James, and John are able to see clearly that Jesus is fully divine while Jesus is their friend. What a revelation. There have been lots of sermons preached on the transfiguration. I'm sure they were all really good. But today, I'm going to stop and not tell a story necessarily. But I want to invite us in to be with Peter and James and John right there where it all happened. So, settle in for a second, take a moment, and walk with me there. You've just walked, or more likely, hiked up into the higher elevations of the nearby mountains. You've been looking for just the right spot for a quiet time of prayer. You can hear sounds around you of the chirping birds in the trees, And the quiet hum of the insects that are hiding under the plants all around your feet as you and your four friends shuffle through the underbrush underbrush in search of the right place to pray those sounds are constant and they're comforting and their natural rhythms draw you in and help clear your mind you might notice your breath as you exert yourself through the climb and your brain begins to quiet the constant noise that comes from thinking about all the things you might should be doing instead of heading off on this quiet retreat with your friends. Together you find the clearing that's just right for this time of quiet prayer and reflection. You can start to feel yourself relax and revel in the quietness of the space where the background noises are the simple noises of nature instead of the normal cacophony of voices in the marketplace or in the synagogue. You are reminded that you are away from the hustle and the bustle of town. Maybe it's breezy that day and your breath begins to decelerate the more you spend time in conversation with God. You are in the moment and out of the corner of your eye, you simply cannot believe what you are seeing. Jesus is changing right in front of you, not just in appearance because he seems to still be Jesus and yet so much more. His divine nature radiates out from his body It's almost blinding to you. He's still fully human, but his godliness now seems perfectly clear to you. You can't help but notice that all of a sudden, the giants of your faith, Moses and Elijah, are right there with him. You can see them just as clearly as you can see Jesus. The light is dazzling and the dingy colors of his cloak are suddenly and blindingly without color at all. Your eyes can barely see the extraordinary beauty of your friend, and your mind can scarcely comprehend this theophany. You realize you're in the midst of the holiest of holies, the one true God. Your first thought becomes your only thought. All you can think of is how can I stay here forever? How can I never leave this sacred place where I'm in the midst of what cannot possibly be true? But there it is, and I never, ever want to leave it again. This story is a reminder to us that while mountaintop experiences like this one are so important, they aren't the way that ministry gets done because we can't stay on the mountain. We can't live apart from the world for that long. Also, this story is about seeing the face of God in ourselves and especially in our friends, seeing deeply that God is within each and every one of us. It's intentional that we hear this story right on the cusp of the darkest part of our Christian heritage, this upcoming season of Lent, where we will walk through the trial and murder of our Savior, whose love and ministry was so frightening and threatening to the religious and political authorities of his time that killing him was their only way to keep their power and their privilege intact. Those are certainly ways we can understand that part of the story. But today, I want us to really just be with Peter and James and John, and to imagine the feeling of that witness of transfiguration It's pretty creative for us to do it, right? We have to use our imaginations, but it's really important that we stop and see what it feels like, even just for a small moment in that space. Because when we do that, we ourselves are transformed, even just a tiny bit. We can imagine that desire to stay there, trying to capture the feeling of being enveloped in his divinity. I can relate to Peter a lot in the Gospels, but I really can relate to it right then. He just wanted to stay there. He didn't want to think about all the stuff down the mountain. He didn't want to think about suffering or to-do lists. He didn't even want to think about healing and miracles, even though we know in the story they go straight to the healing and miracles once again. In that moment, something new is realized. God doesn't just appear in Jesus' dazzling ways. God assumes our humanity. That is made clear in the transfiguration. It's a new way of understanding that we are created in that image as well that image that was right in front of them and us when we think about it. I'm sure they also were transformed, those disciples, maybe not into dazzling human beings, but into people who now know something so deeply and so compellingly that it was almost too much to bear to think about going down the mountain. But that's exactly what we're about to do on Wednesday, we're moving into our season of Lent, and there's a stark shift from the radiant and the dazzling to the dust and the reminders of death. We're inundated with suffering from war to pandemic to everything in between. This is our season to prepare ourselves with the tools that we need to travel with Jesus into the next part of the story, not to try to solve the problem, but just to be present. This is our way of going prepared for the march to the cross, but not yet. Today, we hold tightly to the mountaintop moment of transfiguration in the hopes that we also are transformed like Peter, John, and James that we also recognize our own God image within us. Today we echo our collect that God will grant us that beholding by faith the light of his countenance, we may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Jesus and his friends did come down from the mountain quite quickly in the story. They are changed. They have a deeper understanding of their belovedness and their connection to God and with one another. Their mountaintop experience was just what they needed because it's good to be still. It's good to find ourselves in the thin-veiled places where we can see God in others and in ourselves. Down the mountain awaits us. Hopefully today we are strengthened to bear it. Amen.